Hey, Talk Shop fans, it's Helen O'Brien, host of the Talk Shop podcast. Today is episode 12, and with me is Shira, who is a firefighter. As many of you who've listened to my podcasts, and thank you for that, know I highlight various career paths and jobs where you necessarily do not need a four-year college degree, where it's not a requirement to have that degree to get a job. Okay, disclaimer for this episode. About nine minutes in, you're going to hear some barking. That's my puppy. Don't worry, he doesn't bite. Now, let's jump in and talk shop with Shira. Hi, Shira. Thanks for joining us today on Talk Shop. Good morning, Helen. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So, Shira, you're a firefighter. And you've been doing this for a few years. Um, let's go back to kind of what sparked the interest in becoming a firefighter. Well, sure. So for me, my interest personally began around middle school age. Uh, it started with how I sort of heard people regard firefighters and noticing a twinkle in their eyes when they would talk about them. And um, only specific time I can really remember it clicking for me was playing youth soccer and I had a teammate who whose dad happened to be a firefighter and I can't even remember if he was at the game or not because of the work schedule but she got injured on the field and needed to be carried off and I knew I didn't want our coach to kick excuse me carry her off because he has a hurt knee had a hurt knee at the time so I threw her over my shoulder and just kind of carried her off the field instinctively and Everybody seemed really uh, impressed by that, and I heard a lot about it later, and it just definitely, that type of care came natural for me, and so I, right there, I think I started considering a career where I could help others. Right, and get paid for it. Yeah, exactly. The more, I, the more I heard about the job, the more attracted to it I became, and then it really solidified for me in high school, sophomore year. We did uh, part of our English class studies was to do some career exploration. So our teacher took us to the, like the library on the computers and we took three different career assessments about what might interest you and, you know, things to go in that direction. And that was and as a sophomore? Just, yeah, as a sophomore because oh. we kind of approaching where you pick those important courses your junior year because that's, you know, your launching point, right, for applying and starting to think about SCTs and everything. So all mine came blaringly public service and medical. So wow. it really okay. was like, okay, I think this might be the thing for me. All right. So after high school, you went straight to community college. Yes. Yeah. And did you go straight into the fire science path? Yeah. I, I did. I knew, I knew by junior year, that's what I wanted to do. I kind of rearranged all my coursework to honestly not be such a AP driven load because I didn't need that type of competition to get into my course. So I did an early decision program with my local community college where we sort of mapped out that I was interested in being in the fire technology program um, I took a mixed load of general ed and some fire science classes to see if it was truly what I was interested in, loved it, and kept going with it to the point where by my third semester, I was already enrolled in the EMT course, which does take up a full semester, and then the fourth semester, I um, finished my fire academy. 
Wow. Okay. So now back to high school, did you think, well, maybe I should take a few courses in like anatomy or any of those kinds of classes that would help you with the firefighting path? Yeah, you don't necessarily, you don't get to just TA your last two years because you want to be a firefighter. <laughs> I definitely, I still had to fulfill um, some basic college requirements, including, like you said, anatomy and physiology, biology and chemistry are both going to be important later on, as well as the usual things of taking a language. These are all still going to be basic college requirements that are going to help you get through your coursework sooner than later. Right, right. And also maybe enhance your position as a firefighter, right? Absolutely. If you've had a language, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So you're at community college, and you said the third semester in, you started um, some courses for the EMT. Yeah, so you just take one simple prerequisite of like a first aid course, and that makes you eligible to do an EMT course. Great. Now, does that happen for all, at all community colleges where you get ex get put into the EMT course? Do you know? Or, well, for your specific community college, it sounds like it does. My college happens to offer both. Um, occasionally, there's going to be a college that will only offer the fire academy or will only offer the EMT coursework and they might send you to a partner or sister school that can help you complete the coursework. But I was lucky enough that we had the um, fully encompassing program. So for someone that's looking for the, the job or the coursework, to be able to identify a place that can kind of get you through start to finish, I think is really helpful. Absolutely. Now, um, for the listeners, not all community colleges offer fire science or fire mm -hmm. academy, but um, there's many that do. So definitely do your research when, if that's something that you're thinking about doing. So you're finishing up your um, your time at community college, and, and then what happens then? Do they, does the community college, the fire academy, do they help you help, um, find work, place you? How does all that work? I think they do a great job of helping you understand the hiring process and the interview process and how to build your resume. They pretty much get you ready for your application. And from there, you are on your own in a sense, but you should rely on your community of peers and your mentors and, and former teachers that you've met through your programs. Everybody is always going to be there to help you. No one's going to slam the door in your face if you're asking for help on an application or anything like that. Right. So it, it's important to stay connected to people. Absolutely. Uh, it's important to foster those relationships. Try to get a phone number or an email to someone who you think um, may be a positive part of your network later. Right. Well, like any job, right? That's right. But, yeah. So, and sometimes there's a waiting period too, like until you find something. And, and I know um, a lot of times people um, do some volunteer work maybe volunteer firefighter in some parts of the country, um, or you also have, can, you know, work as an EMT until you get picked up by maybe a fire department. Yeah, so one, basically once you've completed your coursework to become an EMT, you can begin applying. Um, with, but with all the competition in the field to get a job, you might consider applying for an entry-level EMT position while you're maybe concurrently going to school. They, they tend to have flexible hours where you can work at night or part-time or, or a little bit of both. 
Um, and you also may consider going to paramedic school as soon as you finish as well as something to, to do that's going to further you in your job search and your career because the application process can take so long. So some departments offer a volunteer or a paid call, a fire explorer, cadet type of program. And sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're unpaid, but either way they provide like invaluable insight to how a fire department works, uh, what that specific department's culture might be like, and what the culture of the fire service is like as a whole. And that's your time to sort of constantly be interviewed and also in a sort of backhanded way interviewing that department and making sure that they're sure. right for you as well. I think a lot of people forget that that's your opportunity as well to make sure that it's a good fit for you. Because yes, you do need to fit their mold in order to um, be accepted there, but it's a great time to see if that's the place you want in the next 30 years. Right. Well, and it's like a student going on an internship. So you're, you're checking out the, the employer and the employer is checking you out. Once you decide to put your application in, you want to read those minimum qualifications very closely because um, some places ask for you to be 18 years old and have a pulse. And other places have very specific requirements. Some people are paramedic only. Some people are... You know, EMT is, is fine, that's one level, or even less. Um, some people want degrees, and then others may just want to see that you've completed a fire academy, so just a certificate of completion. So you're kind of, so you're, you're kind of in a holding pattern for some people coming out. But, um, so what happened with you? Because I know you ended up working for, uh, a, is it a state-run? Exactly, a state fire department. So, you know, bigger government agency, a very large fire department. Um, so for me, I went right into EMT, working as a BLS EMT, which means you're not necessarily the person that's going to show up when someone calls 911, but you still have opportunity to get your feet wet in the 911 system by running what's called like a code two emergency, which means they still might be going to the emergency room. They very well are going to the emergency room but it's not necessarily lights and sirens. It's not imminent that they get there within the next 90 seconds. It's um, and some of those calls get upgraded to code three as well. So there is opportunity to participate in very real emergencies and, and time sensitive emergencies, but it's, it's more about getting experience, driving ambulance, working with patients, giving very hands-on care, long transports, much longer sometimes than what you'll see in the 911 system and making sure that, that you can handle that, that you love it, and that you're ready to do a portion of that for the rest of your career. Right. So that's a, all, everything you do from when you get out of your fire academy up until getting the job can help you on your resume if you do the right things. So that includes getting your CPAT in California, which is the candidate physical aptitude test. That's a like a sort of a little card you get that has your photo on it. Um, it says the date that you completed that uh, physical test and a lot of departments will have that as a minimum requirement at the application or at the time of interview. And that's just to rule out that you're at least fit enough to you know, show up for day one of academy, that you're not gonna get hurt, 
They don't want to hurt you. They want to make sure you're understanding what the job entails physically. Right. Okay. And I would assume most states have that requirement. I know our CPAT is specific to California, but I would I would believe that most states are going to have a requirement like that. That one I would consider, you know, an outside company. And a lot of a lot of places and departments may have an inside fitness test that might be uh, in addition to that outside test or just their own sole test. They just just expect that there's going to be some sort of a a physical exam like that. Okay. Right. So real quick, I want to go back to, um, you mentioned fire explorers and I know that that's some program that some fire departments, um, have where they work with high school students. Yes. Is it high school and community college students or is there an age range for the fire explorers? So um, yeah, there is a difference, and so I believe that the Fire Explorer program is really for you as a high school student or a young, young adult to explore and make sure that this is a career that you are truly interested in and sort of get your first glimpse inside of a fire department, get your first time having your hands on a ladder and hose and, and just really understanding the position of a firefighter, and then if you do indeed love that, you might move on to a cadet position or a paid call position, unpaid call position where you actually get to ride on the fire apparatus. You'll come in and do sort of a shift with the fire department and see the fully encompassing maybe 12 or 24 hours that you're there. Okay. So I would think that if you were in high school, I mean, definitely try and search out and see if you can find a fire explorer program. Absolutely. And, um, Cause then you might realize you don't want to do this. Right. But you might, you, oh, it's a great semester of Explorer, but that is not for me on to the next one. Yeah. on to the next thing on the list. Yeah. Um, but if you do want to do it, it's a great way to make connections too. Absolutely. Right. And if you do a good job, you know, you rise to the top because they'll remember you. Oh yeah. And, and I work with uh, people today that, they, they see someone, they go, oh, that was my captain when I was an explorer, or vice versa. Oh, I remember when he was an explorer with us. Yeah. An explorer with us. So it, those relationships are long-lasting. Right. Okay. So, the, so, all right, so you're with your state department, and how long were you with them? I was with them for three years, and okay. a total of four fire seasons. It was a seasonal position meaning for this department, the, the entry level position is, is considered seasonal and they are required to lay you off for a period of three months. Um, and your job is almost always guaranteed back for you after that three month layoff period. Okay. And that's just to help save the state money because there just is less calls in the, usually the winter period. So They'll downstaff a bit, lay a few people off, and bring you right back, usually right in the beginning of the spring. And the season, the fire season itself, and the call volume will ramp up from then. So, luckily, the places that I was working, I was getting the full nine months. Um, I considered it to be fantastic experience, not only with the, the fire portion and the EMS portion, but also understanding the culture inside of the firehouse. I thought it was a great entry level position to 
ease you into what it's like to be on the engine in a firehouse with a, a long schedule and so on. Well, since you're talking about the firehouse, what's it like in the firehouse? I mean, you're a female and even though there are more female fire firefighters than ever before, I'm sure there's still some stereotypes out there. Um, yeah, there, it's just like it is for everybody else. There is a period of proving yourself. However, I, I personally believe there is little extra judgment from the outside looking in to make sure that you're strong enough to do the job, that you have the right mindset and that you're there for the right reasons. And I think those are all things that are worthy of proving yourself. I think it's important to have your coworkers respect and trust. Um, and I also believe that it's something that especially a female, but all people in the fire service should accept as a part of the job because we work so closely as a team to the point where we consider each other family and brothers and sisters. And you should value the opinion of your brothers and sisters and want to do well for them. So to me, it's a welcome part of the job. And uh, luckily for me, I've always felt accepted by, I'd say, 99% of the people that I work with, both male and female. And you, you have to just win people over at different times and vice versa. They win you over at different times. Right. And I'm sure it's like your second home. I mean, you're sleeping there. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to find your level of comfort within professional reason. It's very important. Okay. So since we're talking about sleeping at the firehouse, what, um, what are your schedules like? I mean, you, you have 24 hour shifts. That's that right. right. Yeah. Most firefighters work in shifts of 24 hours. And then the number of shifts that you work in a row just depends on your department. Um, I've worked for department that um, had a 72 hour normal shift and then 96 hours off. So three days on, four days off, meaning that your schedule will be the same every week, which is nice for consistency and not as nice to be gone for three days at a time. And then now I work for a department that has a 48 hours on and 96 hours off. So what that means for me is that my, my shift starts a day earlier the next week, every week. So everybody works the weekends at some point. Everybody works the weekdays at some point. We share the load and whatever holidays fall upon your schedule, you, that's, that's what you've signed up to work. So you know a year in advance what your schedule is going to look like. Okay, makes sense. It's all on a color-coded calendar. And that's just how, how we consider it. And those are called tours. The, the complete 48 hours is a tour. Oh, okay. Like a tour of duty. Yeah, and so the 24-hour period is the shift, and then how many shifts you work together is when you go on tour. Got it. So you said 72 or 48 hours on. And 96, 96 off. 96 off. Okay, got it. All right. Um, and at the firehouse, do you have to split up some of the duties? I know, I mean, it's like like I said, it's it's you're living in a house, so – are you cleaning the firehouse? I mean, I know there's a lot of cooking going on. There's Yes, we do probably 90% of the things that need to be done in the firehouse, we do on our own. We hire out very few things, and those things tend to be the very important and critical 
parts that we shouldn't be stopping in the middle to get a call. But, but so we hire out only working on our apparatus and working on our facilities when it's something more than you know a basic repair. But as far as the cooking and cleaning and the head to toe maintenance of our equipment and our station, that's that's on us. So. Our normal day would be most departments have a shift change between seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Those offgoing crews will give the oncoming crews a pass down of their tour before departing. And then at the beginning of shift, you might put all of your gear on your apparatus, you know, inspecting and checking out all of your medical and firefighting gear, which takes quite a while, should take quite a while. Um, you're cleaning both your apparatus and your station, and you're also potentially forming a meal plan for the day with your tour, um, or with just your crew. Okay. Then we go out, usually shop for meals. That, that might be department specific. Some places already provide, you know, a week or two's worth of food in the fridge. But for us, we shop for the day for the most part or for the tour. Um, and that's if you aren't running calls. And then you prepare meals or at least eat together for one to three of those meals per day. Gotcha. So um, going back to working for the state, Tell me about, you know, maybe there was a fire that stood out or I, I know you said um, here in California. So, you know, you're dealing at the time that you were working for the state, a lot of wildfires as it's been going on the last five years. Um, it's been escalated quite a bit. Is there a fire that stands out that you worked on or... Um, and then also I want to know a lot of times firefighters travel to another fire to help out, um, at that fire. So have, and have you done that? Yeah, I traveled all around the state for the, um, duration of my time with the, with the state fire department. I went as North as Oregon to at least have a rest period because there weren't enough motels to sleep us at the fire we were fighting in Northern California because it tends to be very sparse up there. And I've been as South as, hmm, I don't think I've, I don't have not fought fire over the grapevine, but everything North of that I have. So, but a lot of my coworkers have made it down to San Diego and even to right down to the border. So that's all part of the job. And, and as far as the fire that stands out for me, it's not really the one where the the fire activity was significant it's the ones that were more but took an emotional toll on you um and for example like the santa rosa fires were very emotionally exhausting and demanding because there was such a high rate of loss and there were so many people displaced there was so much devastation in one very small geographic area. So that those were, I think, took a toll on most people that were there. Mm -hmm. And you, it was really evident when you would walk into base camp. And I think those fires were so big, we had two or three base camps. Um, but everybody was visibly exhausted. And you could tell it was taking a toll on them to the point where they provided emotional uh, support dogs and just lots of additional services for us. There was people setting up volunteering chiropractic services and people playing music and just things to keep it a little bit more lively at base camp because 30 days of that can take a toll on you. And, and the expectation when you're working with the state is that you will be ready to respond for potentially as long as that fire is, is ripping. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, people think, oh, firefighters, they just sit around the firehouse all day. Right. I mean, but when you're working, it's hardcore. Yeah. I think, um, some people, they really grapple with the idea that firefighters get paid to sleep as they say they get paid to <laughs> off as they say but I think what they fail to recognize is that we are ready to respond we're ready to interrupt our sleep we're ready to abandon our shopping cart at every moment when you see us shopping we're not out of service in the grocery store we have our radio on and we're ready to walk away from that grocery cart and do it all over again maybe after the call, or maybe we have to turn the card in to an attendant and say, I'm so sorry. And we just have to get a, some takeout because it's become so late. Right. Um, I've seen that happen. I've been in the store and I've <laughs> seen that when they, they've got the full cart and the next thing, yeah. the go go out, and and I'll be back or I won't. So, yeah. And the other part of that is um, that I think people struggle to understand is they see what we're getting paid for and they don't see the sacrifice that we make being away from our family. Cause that we don't shut the firehouse down on Christmas day to be home with our families. A lot of people are still working. Um, in fact, sometimes extra. Right. In order to keep that staffing up. That's the agreement that we make with the public. And that's what we sign up for to be public servants. And we, we do it proudly. Right. Same with police and people that work in a hospital. Absolutely. Um, they're all working Christmas day. They need, they need people to work those days. Yeah. Thanksgiving, right. all of them. Um, tell me about your benefit plan. Like, so you're, so you're not with, um, the state now and you're with, um, more of a local. Yeah. Uh, municipal fire department. Exactly. Yes. So you have medical dental, the usual, you have a retirement plan. Yeah. We have a, a unique retirement plan that's set up for a first responder type of position. Um, it's based off of the age that they project that you'll retire, the age that they project that you can work into. It doesn't mean that you have to make it to that age. I think the current age is about 57, but as we know, um, or at least as we have observed, many bodies will be broken by the time that they are 57 years old. So you can always take a lesser percentage of your retirement if you retired out early. So some people might want to go till... 70, 80, 90% of that amount, and then go ahead and retire when it's their time. Other people work until the, until their body says they can't. And for some people, that's well over 60, well over 65. It's, it's pretty crazy. There is quite the variety of people working. Right. So our benefits are, our benefits take pretty good care of us. Um, I think Departments across the nation provide a good plan for their employees. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's again part of your total comp. I mean, it includes your your they're paying disability for you. They're paying into workers' comp if anyone has any you know workers' comp claims. So it's all part of your total comp. Um, days off and you get, I mean, it's just a scheduling thing for you. I mean, can you take off for a three week trip to Nova Scotia or something or? Yes. Once you're a vested member, you, um, we receive annual seniority based vacations. So they'll allot a certain number of positions that can be off for that shift. 
and you're eligible to sign off for at my department, you're eligible to sign off for shifts at uh, two days at a time. So you can take a tour off um, in the bottom level of seniority allots you three weeks and top level allots you closer to six weeks. So you can take six um, tours off minimum and if, there, if you happen to have more vacation in the books or you didn't use it last year, whatever the case may be, you could take more as long as there was no more than that allotted number of people off. And then the other pretty sweet um, and unique thing about being in the first responder position is that many departments offer you the ability to do trades. So if you find someone of a like rank who's willing to work for you on your days of duty, who also doesn't work normally on your days of duty, that person can come in for you on a pre-designated number of hours or days and work in your absence with the understanding that you'll come in and work for them when they need the days. So when we take a tour off for vacation, there's four days leading up to that tour and four days after it. So right now with the department I'm in, that gives you 10 days off for taking only two. Wow. So, okay. If you happen to take two tours off in a row, it really does start to add up. You can get about two and a half, three weeks off of work. Okay, nice. And sometimes you really need it. And sometimes you really need it. Sometimes you have, it could even be, trades may come in handy for when you have a sick family member or, or maybe you have a surgery that you would not like to burn all of your sick or vacation for. Things like that, we, we become very flexible for our time off needs. You mentioned rank. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I know there are rankings within the fire department. So what's your rank right now? And then all the other ranks ahead of you. Certainly. I am uh, at the rank of probationary firefighter right now, meaning that I am not a vested member and I am fire at will, but that shouldn't scare anyone. That What it really means is this is the time for me to ask for and receive all the training that I need to really launch my career and be a safe and productive member of the department. So this is the time where the spotlight is on me to receive as much training as my little brain can possibly handle um, and test regularly to make sure that I'm prepared to be an independent firefighter for the rest of my career. So the other rankings from there would just uh, be firefighter, which is the rider on the engine or the truck. That person is the one you'll see usually at the front of the hose line. They, but they're the one at the front of the door when there is a structure fire or any type of emergency. They're kind of in the work. So that's their position. They're really the mover. They're the, the most physical, the job often. And then you'll have the engineer. If you hear the term engineer, that usually implies is that that person is the operator of the apparatus, whether that be the engine, truck, heavy rescue. That person is well-versed in all the moving and non-moving parts of that apparatus, as well as all the equipment behind every compartment door. So that becomes their responsibility and their sole responsibility um, is to make sure that everything is moving, every wheel is moving appropriately for everybody on that apparatus. So they're really the mother hen Okay. So, so what, so what, can we talk about mother hen for a second? So is that something that you learn on the job or is there like a special class or a test or something that you need to take in order to become that engineer? 
That will depend on your department. There is definitely bottom level coursework. For us, it's called driver operator 1A and driver operator 1B, which I'm glad you asked about because those are actually courses that you could sign up for technically on your own. You could um, put yourself through these courses. Usually they're a week or a couple weeks long. And that is a minimum level state requirement in order to drive these type of apparatus. So those can really help you in preparation for <clears throat> getting a job or perhaps promoting. Um, and either way, um, they're gonna be great courses, whether you end up utilizing them right at the beginning of your hire or not. They're really exceptional courses to help you understand how the fire engine works, the, all the specific components of it, driving it with the weight of it, how the brakes work, to how the fire pump works, how we get that water in those hose lines, and and really that theory behind hydraulics. Absolutely. Um, okay. So another middle level position, you still have the officer on the apparatus, usually the captain or lieutenant at some um, some departments. So you you really have a lot of abilities to work your way up the ranks over time. Sure. So, so the captain would is the next rank probably after engineer. Yes. Okay. Department it is. So you'll find three people on an engine and four people on the truck. But with the engine captain and truck captain, their their responsibility is to be the commander of that apparatus and the people on that apparatus. They're safety officers. They are the sort of command and control for how an incident is going to run for anything as small as a medical all the way up to a large fire before a chief arrives on scene. So that person's job is to make sure that we have a good plan of action for how we're going to make something better safely, make it better functionally, um, and potentially put the fire out. Okay. So then after captain would be chief, correct? Yes. Yeah. So... Oh, go ahead. It's, it's almost like a pyramid. So at the very top, you know, is the chief and then the pyramid gets a little wider and you have maybe three or four captains maybe in a, in a house at a department. On the size of the house, usually there's right. one captain per apparatus. Okay. And then um, for a certain geographical area or a certain number of firehouses, there will be a chief that oversees what's called that battalion. So the battalion refers to, like I said, that number of stations or a geographical area. And that one chief is sort of the boss of the captains who are the boss of the engineers and firefighters. And that way we have a span of control. We have one boss who can handle all these captains or stations. And then we have a good chain of command. So you know that if you have a question or need help or have an issue, you know exactly who your person that you're going to report to is. Okay. Okay. And then the chief would, um, in a, in a bigger municipality that would report up to the mayor or some sort of supervisor for the town or yeah, city so council or from the battalion chief, you run up into higher level chief positions, more executive chief positions, up until the point where you reach the, the fire chief of your department. And that fire chief does report to a fire board or, excuse me, the mayor. And ultimately, the boss is the citizens that you serve. Absolutely. That is the very top level of our pyramid is the people. Right. 
and thank you for being a firefighter. As for the citizens, I thank you. um, It is a very noble profession. Um, It's not easy. I, I, I understand. I've known quite a few firefighters. So thank you. Um, thank you because we we know that our teachers and our our teaching staff of the youth is a vital part of this whole greater plan so right you just right back (laughs) well and i learned that the outlook for firefighters um, across the united states is six percent which is fairly high um so that's in addition to you know any retirement. So that's more firefighters in addition to what we already have. And, um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of retirements going on as well. Um, especially now with COVID, some people are finally saying, well, you know what, I was going to go another three years, but I don't know if I have it in me to go three more years. I think I'm going to retire now. So, and then what happens is you move off of your probationary and you go up to the next level. But now that probationary spot is open for someone new to come in. And so that's, um, that's where the new, you know, our youth come in to, to take up those spots. That's right. People are always going to be retiring and people are yeah. always going to be needing jobs. So our hiring is usually dependent on the, the two things, the growth in the department that's projected and those mm-hmm. retirements. So we don't like to have too many open positions. We want to make sure that we have qualified people in those seats and also um, new members around that can learn from these wise members before they retire. You don't want to just put a new person in the position who hasn't been surrounded by trained, qualified people to really help and foster their career. Right. So when you're with a municipality like such as you are now, um, I mean, that's almost, that's recession proof, right? I mean, you've got a job and facing layoffs is really minimal. I would say the position of firefighter as a whole tends to be very secure, but no, nobody is safe in right. a recession in that sense. Um, it feels good to have a job just like anyone else, but it has not felt it's not felt 100% safe throughout the COVID or uh, any type of recession because we are actually in a hiring freeze right now at my specific department. And that's because we really have to look at our budget and make sure that we're making the most calculated decisions for the citizens in this time and doing anything we can to help the bottom line and really support um, any type of recession that our geographical area might be encountering. We don't want to be adding to the pile of debt. So even if an area is not laying people off, they may be in a hiring freeze where that's it, you're it. And if if you were to lose your job for any reason, you're looking around going, well, what do I do now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In a, in a general sense, it is a very secure position as long as you're continuing to move forward and you're doing a good job. Yeah. So tell me, Shira, um, three qualities you think a firefighter, someone in this role needs to be successful. Okay. Um, the one that's most important to me, I think, is integrity. And the reason I say that is because people are not always going to be watching you, no matter that you, if you have that company officer right there with you. 
at some point you're going to be working independently and get pulled away. So that one's so important to me. You have to have integrity throughout your whole life, not just your job, because people put their full trust in you to get the job done well and right. And when no one's looking. So other firefighters have to count on you to maintain integrity in the job because what you do speaks for potentially the fire service as a whole. So that one I really hold close to my heart. And I just always hope that other firefighters do as well. That's a good one. Um, integrity is super important. And it, it's in so many, in all jobs, I think, but especially with being a firefighter and anyone that is um, kind of a servant of the city, right? Yeah. Or of your, of the people. Sorry, I got a naughty dog over here. Apologize. Okay. So my, my next one is being a self-starter. I think being a self-starter is what really sets our breed apart as firefighters. Um, you have to be able to do something because you know it's the right thing to do and it's the right time to do it without always being told. Firefighters are expected to get on scene of an emergency and know several things to do to make it better. Not just one or not just any ideas. You have to know. So self-starters are competitive with themselves to constantly become higher achieving and that inner drive sets the bar and becomes contagious throughout the service really right okay and then my final one is compassion I think mm -hmm. this one can be overlooked uh, and you'll you may not hear the men talking about compassion but I actually have so many positive examples of compassionate men both in my role and in higher ranks that have really set the bar for how we should behave you have to have it and lots of it because the ability to be compassionate helps you step outside of your own situation and just be present for someone else's emergency. It could be the worst day of their lives for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can forget that, whether it's somebody who's like me, who's on scene to do the job, or it could just be a member of the public who happens to be witnessing this. Um, they might not understand that for the person who called, this is potentially their worst day. So to be able to walk into someone's situation, no matter what it looks like, and just be nice because it's free and it's the right thing to do. Attempt to understand and attempt to solve their problem. It isn't always effortless, but it is expected. So people need to understand that before they sign up to do this. Do you have the amount of compassion that it takes to constantly give that and maybe not receive it back from the people on the calls that you run? Right, yeah, um, compassion. It's super important. So when I was in high school, we had a house fire and, um, yeah. And, um, I remember walking home from high school, I was a sophomore and, uh, there was all this smoke and I'm thinking, Oh, someone's house is on fire. And sure enough, it was mine. And I walked home from school and my mom was standing outside and, um, anyway, we were out of our house for six months and, and okay. you don't realize you know, I mean, what devastation a, a small fire can cause. Oh, absolutely. And um, it's, uh, it, it's, it turns your life upside down. And so I can't imagine people losing their whole houses. I mean, we didn't, but, um, you know, being displaced. And it's really bone chilling to think about what a family goes through or multiple families go through when, and even like you said, a small fire occurs because you have this, this fear and this thought of what if. Right. 
and everything, right. every decision that you make after that, I think you're in the back of your mind or maybe the front of your mind is, is there going to be another one or, you know, is this item in my house safe or my, is my family member safe? It's constant. It's constant. It's constant. And, and the fire is one part of the damage, but it's the smoke that right. causes so much damage. I mean, all of our clothes, um, my room wasn't affected, but it was the smoke that affected it. Right. And, and, you know, so you have no clothes and, right. Um, but you know, going back, I mean, I know all the firefighters are there and in front of the house when I pulled up and, and, um, all very nice. And yes, compassion is, is key. Um, those are really three great qualities, uh, self-starter integrity and compassion, all super important for, um, for being a firefighter. And, and it goes back to your story when you first started talking about being on the soccer field and, and carrying, um, you know, your teammate off the field. It was, that shows right there. So a lot of times I think people know that firefighting is in them. Um, yeah. And um, it's just trying to, to figure out, is this something that I really want to do? And oftentimes I think too, we're swayed by what other people think or what other people say. And I think it's important to kind of stay true to yourself and figure out what it is that you don't want to do, but what it is that you do want to do. And oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can relate to that so much because there were other careers that I considered um, while I was deciding. And as you grow up, I, I feel like adults ask children constantly, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know at two, at four, at 10, at 12, how could you know? How could you be sure that the few that do know are so lucky that they do have an idea already because it is one of the hardest decisions to cement in your mind and to follow through with because you've told so many people at a certain point what you want to do. And if it doesn't end up working out or being something that you want to do, there's this sense of huge disappointment or lack of, you feel like you have lack of follow through just because you, you want to change courses. Right. Right. So true. I, mean, I work in a high school and I do a lot of the career stuff and I, I figured out early on, don't ever ask a high school senior, where are you going to college? big mistake. I always ask them, so what's next? Right. What are yeah, you doing after graduation? Changing how we talk about this is so huge moving forward because there's so much unnecessary pressure to follow one path, even if it's like you said, the college path versus career path or a travel path. There are so many options right. um, for all of us that I feel like be overlooked by putting each other in a box, asking one question. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you feel that pressure, like, oh, I have to go through with this, or, yeah. I'm disappointing you if I don't. If you don't, if you don't follow that path, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, do you have any funny stories or anything, Shira, to, to share I being do. a firefighter? I do. I have one that I actually typed out because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss the, miss a funny part. Okay. You're prepared. Yeah. All right. So how I met my mentor actually. 
And my mentor is someone who, for me, I can call upon at any time and they really just hear me out. But this person was sort of a intimidating person for me at first and ended up becoming my mentor. So you never know who's going to come through for you. Um, when I first met my mentor, I was in a hiring academy for another department. I was intimidated because even though at the time she and I had the same level of experience, I was transferring in from another agency and she had already been working at that agency. I felt that she was confident and fierce and really knew what she was talking about and really carried herself well. So after that little hiring academy, we went to our respective stations, but somehow I ended up working a day of overtime at her station, her station, her captain, and I'm the visitor for the day. So because it was my first day on, I was checking out all of the equipment on our apparatus. And one of those pieces of equipment was our vehicle extrication tools, which happened to be hydraulically operated. So meaning that was high pressurized hydraulic fluid. And that was the power source to make the tools open and close or cut or pinch. And I'm checking out the equipment. I've got the tool all hooked up and this, this chick comes up and she's talking with me and sort of maybe we're planning our day out or talking about a workout we might do later. And I got flustered, kind of lost my place. And I started disconnecting the equipment, trying to keep moving along. And I disconnected the hose line under pressure. Oh dear. When I, opened, when I released the line, the motor was shooting hydraulic fluid and it happened to be in the direction of this firefighter. So this, this chick, this chick, her, her pants got sprayed to obliterate <laughs> just to, it was bad. Her pants were completely peppered with hydraulic fluid. I was mortified. I was doing everything I could to shut the equipment down and instantly start cleaning up the mess and covering my tracks. I thought, I think I've lost all respect from her and our captain when, when he finds out. Um, she was a little surprised and shocked, but she really laughed it off and <laughs> treated me much more humanely than she had to. I was so apologetic and trying to, I just wanted her to get changed and get, give me those pants so that I could clean them for her or assess sure. the damage. And I was offering to buy her a new pair and just so many things within what felt like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a pair of mine, anything I could to save face. So luckily I was able to get the pants with a good soap, a good scrub and a good wash, it lifted all the hydraulic fluid out and, and they were salvageable. But in that moment, I thought, man, I've, I've ruined any chance of having a partnership with this person. <laughs> right there in that, in that moment and through the rest of the shift, she was super cool with me. She, she teased me a little, but you wouldn't expect anything less at the firehouse. And she never thought differently of me for that. And so even though we started off with the same level of experience, uh, she moved over to another department where she began gaining even greater experience. And I eventually moved over to another department as well. So I think of her as a huge mentor for me, um, encouraging me to move forward and do better. And also just be human and treat people as you'd like to be treated. Right, which is what she did. Yeah, right in that moment, she had a choice. She could have written me off right then and there and just said, idiot. Yeah. Chose not to, so. Right, because she was probably in your shoes before. I'm sure she has been. You know, right? nobody's perfect. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Something we all have to remember. We yeah. were in those Certainly firefighters are not either. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about, um, ex was it extraction, hydraulic extraction tools or something? Is or extrication tools. Yeah. Yes. So tools, do you have a favorite specialized tool? Hmm, that's a good question. I, we, so at my department, we have hydraulic tools, which it's my first experience working with that. And what that means is they're battery operated hydraulic tools. So when you've come from a department where you're used to dragging out this 40 or 50 pound tool, you know, getting the entire power unit that's separate that could weigh anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds itself, getting a hydraulic hose line out, making all the connections, hoping that the thing's going to fire up on the first try. You know, you're, you're checking it out, making sure it's fueled in the morning, that it's got all the appropriate oil, the hoses don't have any damage to them. All of this just to make sure that this piece of equipment fires up in the blink of an eye when somebody needs you to get them out of a vehicle or a building, whatever it is. And then we now have each hydraulics that are battery operated. I go to the compartment, I open the compartment door, the battery's already in it. I've already verified that it's charged and it works. I pull the piece of equipment out. Yes, it still weighs about, you know, 40, 50 pounds, some of them, but I pull it out of the compartment and it's ready to go. There's no setup. So I'm just that much quicker to helping someone in need. And so for me, the thought of modern technology such as a battery helping us to do our jobs better for the same price right is pretty incredible and that that does blow me away and there, there's there's so many tools it's hard to choose one and that one just happens to come to mind because of our story but um it was so impressive to me to see how modern technology can positively impact our jobs and the safety of others really sure sure um one other thing I wanted to talk about, like one of the things that you do, like when you're not fighting a fire and, and not grocery shopping and, um, you know, checking all your equipment, um, you go around and you check all the fire hydrants. That, that can be definitely a part of it. And that's personally important to us because we want to make sure that that hydrant is going to be operational for us before the emergency, before your house is on fire and not, find out that there's something wrong with it while your house is on fire. Now we, we don't have all the time in the day to go around and check every single hydrant. And technically that usually is the, the water department's job, but it's so personally important to us that you will see us maybe going around and occasionally flushing a hydrant to make sure that there's no debris, you know, just taking the cap off to make sure it's not frozen on with rust or people haven't stuffed water bottles or tennis balls in the, in the discharges. And then, the other thing that we go around and do frequently is our building inspections. That's kind of something that goes hand in hand. Oh, sure. Usually at least a multi-residential um, apartment building or, or it could be a building of business, any sort of buildings in your district. It's, it's at this point essential for us to be going and walking these buildings, whether it just be the exterior, but hopefully some of the interior as well. We're still in service. We're still ready to run down and hop in the engine and go to a call. But we want to see these buildings before there's an emergency, before it's nighttime, and before there's a fire or any other emergency there. We'd like to know how to get up to your unit or how to get to the roof or where the um, exits are. So 
if you see us walking through the building looking at the extinguishers and fire escapes and exits that's what we're doing and and it's a huge part of our job i personally enjoy the heck out of it because i get to see my district like i said before the emergency we get to talk with so many incredible people while we're out there we kind of we do all this hypothesizing and pre-planning about oh what if this happened or what if this happened and we get to formulate our plan with people who might actually be on the incident right then and there. Right. So we'll actually hear stories from guys about how they were doing that on an, on a building, maybe the week or the day before or the day of, and then that call actually comes out at the building and they're going, wow, what are the odds and, and how much did that pay off? <laughs> right. Right. That's usually how it works. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you go look at it and the next time, next thing you know, you need to yeah, go there. They sense the presence. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, fire inspector. Is that another? There's a whole nother facet of the fire department. And okay. a lot of people go to school specifically to do that. Okay. And some people um, go to school not knowing where they might land. So uh, inspection and prevention courses are part of a normal uh, fire technology or fire science degree, but they can also be their own emphasis. So that may be something that people are super passionate about as well and take you down a whole nother path of in career field. So that, that person usually does work as a um, position in the fire department, but it's a, it's a sole and exclusive position for them. So okay. they are option. really... Yeah, they're they're really delegating to us. I need you to inspect these buildings, and then they usually handle the much higher level, higher ticket items. Your your science type buildings that need to have very specific coding, and and they handle a lot of the building process as well. So they're overseeing those plans, making sure that they're going to be safe before they're completed. All right, so it's a little more technical. Absolutely. Um, position. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So there, that's another option. Um, okay, well, I think this is, this is a lot of information for potential firefighters out there to listen to and maybe help solidify, yes, I wanna do this, or mm, maybe it's not for me. Um, I don't know if I wanna be woken up in the middle of the night to go fight a fire, right? So right. yeah, it's all, it's, it's all pluses and minuses. It is, and I, and I think the, the people that are listening to this and they're getting more excited as they're listening, definitely go see if you can't get yourself in the firehouse for 24 hours and see what it's all about. Because if you're getting more excited right now, then this, this is the right thing for you, or this is the right type of field for you. And if you're starting to get scared away just, just from the answers I'm giving to this interview, then still go and check it out because you might be surprised, but also know that it might not be right for you. And that's totally okay. Right. And it's, and if you're a little scared too, it's sometimes it's good to challenge yourself and really it is yes. to check things out and say, wow, you know, I think I really could do this. Yeah. Or right. people who say I could never, I'm afraid of heights or I could never, I don't, I can't really stand the sight of blood. You just don't know until you try. Exactly. If you end up in that first aid class and, and putting it, the thought of putting a Band-Aid on something or 
or doing CPR ends up making you be close to fainting, then, then yeah, maybe it's not right for you, but you really won't know until you try. And there's also a lot of people who discover that it's just their hidden passion just by putting themselves through the motions. Would you suggest um, listeners maybe just going into a firehouse and, and, you know, having a conversation with a few people and just say, Hey, you know, I'm interested in possibly becoming a firefighter and, can you tell me what do you suggest you know can I hang out here for a little bit or is that something I absolutely I would suggest first looking in your own personal community through your friends and family and and trying to get a hold of people that you know that are doing the job and having a, a phone conversation or perhaps meeting over coffee to discuss that and if it's all sounding good then definitely pursue uh, making an appointment with the fire department to get yourself inside of the station, even if it's once again, just to sit down and, and have a cup of coffee with them or enjoy a meal with them and, and learn a little bit more about it or, or a tour, anything like that up until the point where you're ready to maybe come in for 12 hours and, and be a rider on the engine and, and see what it's all about. So any position, any way that you can get in to start understanding more and getting closer to the people and the equipment, it's, it's huge. That is huge. Huge. And if you, there's any high schoolers out there, definitely research Fire Explorer programs in your area. Absolutely. That's going to get you woven in to the, the deepest part of the equipment and the career by getting you that exposure. Absolutely. Right. Well, Shira, thank you for being a firefighter and thank you to all of your fellow firefighters, all of the firefighters out there for doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you, Helen, for the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed chatting with you today and um, yeah, good luck out there. And I know you'll be coming off probation soon because you are a self-starter. You have integrity and you have compassion. Well, thank you. I things. really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us on Talk Shop. That about wraps up this episode of Talk Shop Podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And check out my website at www.talkshoppodcast.com for additional info, articles, and resources. You can always send me questions and comments through the contact form. And if there's a specific career you'd like to hear about in the future, please let me know. Until next time, get out there, take a chance, and talk with people because you never know who you will meet.